Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about overtraining syndrome, which is more common than you think. We're going to be talking about why it's important to guard against overtraining syndrome and why balancing your energy intake and your energy expenditure will get you great performance results. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen and uh, as always uh, we're here to share our insights and expertise with regards to uh, running and nutrition um, but before we get started as always we'd like to share something a little bit personal with you so uh, it's a foodie one today so Karen um, do you have a favorite um, pre-endurance run breakfast that you, you have regularly? Oh yeah! In fact, Aileen, I am very regular with uh, with my um, pre-running breakfast when I'm doing the uh, an endurance run. I always do the same thing all the time, and I think that happens actually quite a lot with runners. Certainly with my clients, I just find that you find what works, and you just sort of keep keep doing it. So, mm. um, so what I tend to have. Um, is overnight oats, which I usually soak in either Greek yogurt or kefir. And then in the morning, I'll add some nut butter and I just put in whatever I've got. It might be almond butter, peanut butter, cashew butter, whatever's in the cupboard. And then I'll add a bit more, just to moisten it a bit, I'll add a, a little bit more of the, the kefir or, or the Greek yogurt. And I just find that that sustains me really well. And also my body's able to process it um, reasonably well. So that would be mine. How about you? What do you tend to do, Aileen? Yeah, well, I, I sort of do my own version of overnight oats uh, like you. Uh, so mine tends to be um, oats soaked with nut milk usually. And I might put some seeds, maybe some chia seed or mixed seeds and maybe some chopped nuts in. Um, and then maybe some, um, some berries or something like that. Um, but um, I might also, depending on how long I'm going to be out, I might have an egg too because I get a bit jittery if I just run on carbs. So I usually like to have some protein. And if I don't have time to, if I haven't made the oats, 
I'll do something really simple like some scrambled egg and a banana um, because that's easy, quick to make, easy to eat, and it's quick mm. to digest too. So um, that's my two go-tos. Um, mm. so like you say, quick and simple and um, yeah. same every time, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it needs to be quick and easy because it is a case of – almost sort of getting up and wanting to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, over time, I've just found that my body can process it so much quicker. So I don't have to have the lag time between eating and then going out and running. I can almost, I do try and give it a bit of time, but I can almost go out straight away after I've eaten, which mm. is a time saver in itself, really. Yes, indeed. So today mm. we're going to be talking about overtraining syndrome and um, that's something that's uh, quite a common condition, uh, more common than you would imagine. So Karen, can you start off by telling us a little bit about overtraining syndrome and what? how is it defined? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. So, um, so it was actually, well, the definition by the American College of Sports Medicine, they define it as characterized by a prolonged and unexplained decrease in sports performance. And it's usually associated with some severe psychological manifestations. So that's how they kind of define it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's quite a, a detailed definition. I'm sure we're going to dig into that a bit more as we go along. Um, but how do you see this overtraining syndrome manifesting with your clients, Karen? Yeah, that's interesting. So with my clients, um, what I usually find is that somebody's just um, coming in maybe to sort of uh, look at their nutrition to support the running. Um But then what can happen is that that sort of interest can then become a bit of a fixation. So, again, sort of looking at that from a psychological point of view and they start to become fixated on their weight, but also body body fat percentage. That's, a you know, with a lot of runners who who want to to do well and want to be fast runners, they can become really fixated on on body fat and and trying to reduce it as much as possible. And, And what tends to happen is that they start to overtrain but without adjusting the, the the nutrition and their energy intake and that then over time can lead to underperformance which really yeah. is the definition yeah that really sort of um is probably the plain english definition of what yes uh, what the um the american college definition was so that so they were saying that um it's really linked to a chronic decrease in sports performance which also leads to the psychological um, problems and presumably physical health consequences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting topic. So what would you say, Karen, are the, the causes or the triggers for this overtraining syndrome? Well, it's thought, actually, that there are sort of three areas that are key to this to, to it developing and it seems to be that it, there's an imbalance between the training um, an individual's training sleep patterns as well uh, alongside eating and eating and nutrition patterns so there seems to be an imbalance of those three and that can then lead to um the physicals um you were saying about sort of developing physical health health consequences as well and and that's absolutely right because it leads to a change in in um 
metabolic processes and, and hormone balance and, and many other sort of processes in our body. So, for example, you might get a slowing of, of metabolism. A lot of people think that if they reduce, if they reduce, if they keep training, reduce the, the, the amount of food they're eating, that the met metabolism will speed up. And actually, contrary to that, it can over time slow down. And, um, and then there can be disruption in some of the important hormones like the sex hormones, the stress hormones, and also our, um, our brain hormones, our neurotransmitters as well. And, um, so, so like you say, Aileen, it is both psychological and physical consequences of it. Mm. So our, the three, the three main areas, as you mentioned there, the, the training, the sleep and nutrition, they're the things that are thought to be the triggers. So it's when those, those three things aren't in balance. Um, and you mentioned, um, you know, those three as being the key ones. And, and I remember a few episodes ago as talking about the performance triangle. And it really stuck in my mind this because, um, we were saying that often people, um, focus too much on training and not enough on rest and sleep and not enough on eating and nutrition. Um, so, I, and I think the reason it stuck in my mind was thinking about having, instead of having an equal sided triangle, uh, you might yeah. have, you know, short sides in some of the areas. So I think that's a, a good analogy. And, um, as I say, maybe people would like to check out that previous episode just to, um, listen to it again. Um, so can you just go into a little bit more detail on that, Karen, and, and sort of highlight what it is about these three different aspects that leads to a deterioration in sports performance? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. Um, uh, so, so in overtraining syndrome, it's sort of this interplay of of chronic so so it's not sort of an acute thing this is happening over a period of time so it's this chronic over exercising um with an, an in, insufficient energy intake to, to to then fuel the exercise the excessive training so that increase in training um and, and that sort of alongside the poor sleep or maybe just insufficient sleep. Now the insufficient sleep could be due to factors outside of, of their training, but, uh, and their nutrition, but it could also be interlinked as well if they're not taking on, um, sufficient, uh, sufficient, um, food and nutrients that may be affecting the sleep patterns as well. So it's this interplay of those three that, that leads to it. In fact, sort of, we speak about overtraining syndrome, but it's, it's also known as, um, people might have heard of the female athlete triad, because that's been around for quite some time. And then also relative energy deficiency in sport, which is quite a new concept. So it's almost like you could put, um, overtraining syndrome as the overarching title and then this sort of female athlete triad and relative energy deficiency coming underneath that so just to try and kind of put it all yeah, in, in yeah. perspective for people yeah that's helpful Karen um mm. so the key thing there is that the three these three aspects are really interlinked and I, I like the the emphasis you made on the chronic over-exercising. Uh, I think we need to remember that chronic word. Um, so it's like all the time, it's unrelentless, it's just going on and it's building up and cumulative over a period of time. Um, so they're the key players that are involved in this reduced performance that are and health issues. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about 
fat and red S because it is, um, you know, they're quite interesting concepts to know about. Why, why, yeah, uh, why is there a need to distinguish between the two? Yes, absolutely, Aileen, because because um, they are quite different, and death, like I say, is is quite a new concept. So, so just looking at female athlete triad first, we speak we're speaking about fat and red S, Aileen, but just to let people know that they are acronyms for for the female athlete triad and the uh, relative energy deficiency in sport. But just for easiness, fat and red S is much simpler to say. Mm. Um, so, so like I said earlier, fat has been um, acknowledged uh, an acknowledged condition actually for for many years and it's recognized as a syndrome of three interrelated components which we've sort of uh, alluded to already and and one is sort of that low energy availability and menstrual dysfunction and then low mineral low bone mineral density so those are the three um, areas that are are um, affected, and this is focusing on girls and women. So the female athlete triad, as the title suggests, is just linked to women. So and and it's thought within that that a, that an athlete's health it, it moves along a spectrum, and that will depend on their diet and their exercise behaviour. So depending on how fixated or how much they've adapted their training, but not their nutrition, will depend depend on where they are along the spectrum. Great. That's really helps with, with uh, distinguishing what the female athlete, um, I can never remember what the T is, Karen. What triad, the oh, female oh, athlete triad. triad. Yeah, it's a triangle, mouthful. Triangle, yeah. triangle. Um, okay. Yeah. We're going to talk about red S in a moment, but just before we do that, we're going to take a little pause um, because I, I'd just like to explain to everybody about um, what we do um, outside of the outside of the podcast. So uh, it's just a little short ad, advert break. Um, so many of you might know that the podcast is sponsored by Runners Health Hub, and and that's um, somewhere that Karen and I have uh, developed a, a place for runners to um, find lots of interesting information about nutrition. And we offer a range of services there to help you be a fitter, faster, and stronger runner. Uh, and we'd love you to take a look at our Runners Nutrition Zone, um, which is where we host our online program and where you'll you'll find lots of short videos, recipes, downloads and invitations to live sessions. And that'll help you put easy nutrition into practice. So you can find all the details at runnershealthhub.com. And um, yeah, check us out and see if there's anything that you would like some additional help on. So moving on, um, Karen, so before the, the, that little break, we asked you to um, explain what um, the female athlete triad was. So can you tell us a little bit more about Red S as well and what, what that means? Yes, absolutely. So the relative energy deficiency in sport was a concept that um, a group of scientists came up with in 2014. And basically what they were doing was updating and expanding the concept of the female athlete triad. And, um, and they define it as a syndrome resulting from relative energy deficiency that affect, affects many aspects of physiological function. So, and this is thought to to result um, be a, as a result of inadequate energy intake compared 
to the energy expenditure of exercise, but also of just daily daily living. And this then results in poor health and reduced sporting performance. So what they were doing with this sort of update is that they were, they were acknowledging the concept of, of female athlete triad and how the athlete's health is said to move along a spectrum depending on their, their diet and exercise. But what they were then doing was recognizing some additional aspects of physiological function that can be affected by um, energy availability, by low energy availability. But as well as that, the other key thing that they were um, acknowledging was the risk to male athletes. So, so finally, male athletes were being acknowledged and being thought about um, in, in, um, in this area of potential eating disorder, disordered eating, leading to eating disorders and the impact on performance from that. And it is still found that, you know, the overall risk is lower in men, but, but it is still quite prevalent in sort of certain sports, especially weight class sports and sports requiring leanness. And one area where it's been quite well researched is our jockeys. Mm-hmm. And as everybody will be aware that they have to be small, they have to be really light because they get weighed in, weighed out all the time and before they before they, they actually race. So that is an area where there's been quite a lot of, of, of research. So hopefully, Aileen, I've, yeah. uh, I've managed to explain that um, yeah. under, in an understandable way. Yeah, thanks, Karen. That, that was great. And I, I think it's really interesting to realise that, you know, the research is more wide now. You know, we're not just homing in on two or three different areas like, you know, the... Um, menstruation and and bone mineral density we're actually thinking that there's lots of different um, aspects of performance and health that can be affected by how we eat and how we exercise Um, so I think that's really really fascinating and and also I like the you know now that we're looking at you know male and female athletes too and I'm, I'm sort of assuming here that you know there are other areas you've mentioned jockeys but I'm thinking also particularly um, cyclists and maybe gymnasts too, um, for male and female, you know, there's a, a need really to have a very lean body mass and that might be uh, mm. an area that could affect people. Uh, and the other thing I'm thinking about, I don't know what you think, Karen, is that there's a lot, you know, a lot more of us are exercising now and we're, we're doing quite a lot of endurance sports. You know, there's um, the triathletes mm. and uh, and we're doing it throughout mm-hmm. our our age, you know, we're doing it, we're starting older and we're doing it for longer, aren't we? Um, you know, so there's a lot Absolutely. of people there who do um, exercise and endurance exercises and they may also, um, you know, have, there might be health effects going on. Well, that's right. And that's a really good point, Aileen, that we are doing it um, as we get, we get older and sort of, disordered eating can start at any age we we tend to associate it more with younger people but it can happen at any at any time and also sort of looking at some of the you know we've spoken about um one uh, d- decreased bone, uh, bone mineral density as well. And the older athlete, the, looking at the female athlete uh, again, especially because of the menopause, there's an increased risk 
of 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 reduced bone mineral density and the risk for then fracture be it stress fracture or pure fracture that 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 there is there so um so i think it's a really good point that you bring up that it's it, it it's it, we are we are running at an older age and we're running for longer therefore uh, that keeping that balance of energy in versus energy out is really really important mm. Okay, so let's um, look at some of the health effects of red S, Karen. What what are the main ones that spring to mind? Yeah, absolutely. So so like we've spoken about, there's the 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 ones that are that are similar to the female athlete triad. Clearly, are the hormone um, disruption, uh, and that sort of is linked to the to a suppression of estrogen and progesterone that occurs. Um, when there is a, there's, there's reduced energy availability. And, and also, again, sort of bringing it back to, to how they've included men in this as well is that the suppression of testosterone in, in men is also going to, to, to be, um, evident as well. So a real hormonal disruption. And again, with the females, there's that menstrual dysfunction. And quite often you hear about, um, about sort of teenagers who are really into the sport, especially the likes of g- gymnasts, um, dancers, people like that, and how they're much later at developing and how menstruation starts a lot later. Um, so, so there, there is a real dis- dysfunction there. So for the young, it's late in, in starting. Then for, um, sort of for adult females, it, it can be very much about the becoming more intermittent and potentially stopping for a period of time. If energy availability, um, low energy availability becomes chronic and, um, and that again is linked to this reduction in estrogen and progesterone. And alongside that, there's the increased risk of stress fracture because of the reduced estrogen. And again, just worth remembering that this can be in men and women. Clearly men have got more testosterone, so they're going to see more effects from reduced testosterone levels, but also they, they have estrogen and that will be reducing too. And that can increase their risk of stress fracture um, as well. Also, um, it can lead to reduced uh, metabolic rate. So it, 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 it is generally, I think, perceived that, um, if you sort of reduce, you increase your energy, reduce your food intake, then meta- metabolism is going to become um, faster. Um, but actually, converse to that, again, looking at it in a chronic, in a chronic way, that, that it actually reduces. So um, metabol- metabolism will actually reduce, and that's linked to um, thyroid hormones as well. And then there's the comprised um, compromised muscle function. So um, it's 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 been found that a daily intake of protein that's less than thirty calories per kilogram of free fat mass, so free fat body mass, is is known to reduce muscle synthesis. So I think that's a really good point for people to sort of think about and digest. And 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 many runners are, are probably aware already about that compromised immune function and how that can um, lead to an increased risk of of infection, inflammation, but also um, injury as well. Wow. There's quite a lot there, really, yeah, as you can see. So a huge amount of effect. Yeah, there's a lot to think about, you know, and uh, 
we want all of these things to be working optimally so that we get the best performance and, and we've got really great health. And uh, what was springing to my mind when you were talking there, Karen, was a lot of runners um, don't adjust their eating patterns. So they'll adjust their amount of running, but they don't actually, in, they don't um, change what they're eating. And uh, that's yeah. what we're all about is getting people to understand what they can do to um, adapt their energy intake. So it's basically increasing the amount of food in the right way so that it's matching your mm -hmm. energy expenditure. And, and by doing that, you're minimizing all the problems that Karen's just sort of mentioned there. Um, so linking all of that to running, um, obviously that's if, if we are in that deficit situation, it has a pr profound effect on our performance. Um, you know, and it was good that Karen mentioned that, you know, the risk of injury, including stress factors and this reduction in muscle protein synthesis, which is really important, that rebuilding of muscle, um, you know, after running. So, so yeah, lots, um, lots of good stuff to, uh, for us to think about there, Karen. Um, what I would yeah. like to do just now is just track back a bit. And we talked earlier about Red S or this overtraining syndrome. Um, and how it's, um, might be linked to an element of disordered eating. Um, what would you say about that? Yes, uh, um, absolutely, Aileen. And in fact, it's the, the sort of disordered eating side of it. So like I was saying earlier, it's, it seems to be to go along a continuum and it's thought to potentially underpin the development of Red S. So that it has got a, um, a huge sort of impact there. And, and it's thought that so you it might start off as potentially disordered eating, but then eating disorders alongside health issues and reduced athletic performance would be at the other end of that continuum. So really it's about, say for us as nutritional therapists, it's sort of finding or, or trying to address the situation when it's quite near the beginning of this continuum so that it doesn't go too far down and end up as a, as, as um, an eating disorder and um, the, the, the health issues that go alongside that. Um, and what can happen is this, so to, 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 to sort of explain it a bit further, this disordered eating can lead to a sort of like a psychological preoccupation with attaining this ideal body composition for whatever the sport is, say for a runner. Um, and that can also lead to a development of um, body image distortion. So that's often known as body dysmorphia. So that can that can then occur. And then as as the individual moves along the disorder continuum, the eating disorder can then start to to develop. And and as as we we are aware, um, eating disorders are, are then closely linked to to depression, and depression can and and the eating disorder can also be associated with. Um, a, a mortality risk there. So really important to, to be able to recognize it early on to, to prevent it going further down that, that, that spectrum, that continuum. Does that make sense? Amy? Yeah, it does. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of identifying with some things that I find with uh, clinical clients. Um, you know, sometimes 
well, not sometimes, quite often when you're working with people, you start picking up cues and you notice things, some of the things that they're doing. And I'm sure that's exactly the same for you, Karen. And that's where we're, we're spotting mm-hmm. the potential for disordered eating. And, and through our, our coaching and education of a client, we would be explaining to them that, you know, what's going on and, and trying to pull them back from that. Mm-hmm that situation um so cause sometimes we fall into it accidentally without realizing we get over enthusiastic about our training and our running and um being maybe a bit too overly focused on everything and then that can as you said lead mm-hmm. to other areas so um you know what i was thinking there karen is could, okay. somebody could start out with just really watching their weight um to support their running but it can develop into a fixation and then you know, when they start seeing maybe that their performance is, is dropping and that's um, helping their um, performance, their, their weight is dropping rather, and their, their um, performance mm-hmm. is improving, that sort of encourages them to keep going. But there is a tipping point somewhere where it stops working for them and maybe they're not noticing. Um, so they, they could get into, mm-hmm. you know, potentially um, dangerous situation leading to physical and psychological health issues and that that's you know potentially serious for some people um so is there anything that you would sort of advise our listeners that might help them prevent this overtraining syndrome karen yes absolutely and i think the best advice um probably i'd be able to to give um is that i i i would suggest that they work with a sports nutrition professional because that that person will be able to really guide them regarding the nutrient intake to support their performance goals whatever that may be and will be able to help them um sort of adjust their intake depending on what their training load is so, so that, so they'd be ensuring that they're getting the sufficient energy for their training. Cause like you say, Aileen, people can accidentally fall into this, um, sort of syndrome just because they're becoming over enthusiastic or they just don't know how to adjust their nutrition. So they're eating the same whilst increasing their training and, and, you know, over a long period of time, that could be detrimental to what their goals are. And um, also, I would I would ask them to think about um, the performance triangle that we spoke about earlier that you brought in, Aileen, really thinking about the training, the nutrition, and then that sleep and rest um, and, and just thinking about them in, in equal measure. So not sort of um, looking at just the training or just the nutrition. It's about um, all three of those key areas being um, being monitored and adapted um, each to the same the same degree. Um, and and I think the the last thing I would just like to to kind of add here would be that you know it is widely accepted that being overweight will negatively impact performance but what I would say is it doesn't mean that a lower body weight will always be advantageous especially if it's if it's being achieved by severe weight loss methods so again it's going back to that um that performance triangle so I think those would be the three key things I would like to to say to the, to to our listeners uh, uh, about ways of trying to prevent um 
potentially accidentally moving into overtraining syndrome. Yeah, that's really, really good advice, Karen. Um, what I, I, what I'm thinking is that, um, you know, a lot of our listeners won't fall into this category. You know, they're not going to be, you know, on the edge of disordered eating, um, but they may well be enthusiastic and, and trying to introduce new things and maybe not get it quite right. Um, so I think but for most of us, we just have to be aware that we have to balance our energy intake. So it's like making sure that you're balancing what you're eating with your energy output um, and not just running on the same food all the time. And as your as your endurance runs increase, um, adjust them accordingly. Um, but, but, you know, you step it up and down during the week. It's not that you have to move mm. to that high amount all the time. And I think that's where people that are weight conscious get you know, they get anxious, you know, if I suddenly start eating more, then I'm going to be putting on weight. Well, you don't have to eat to high amounts every day. You do it on the days that you're doing your training runs. Um, and importantly, yeah. you know, remembering to rest and sleep well and allowing yourself rest days and allowing yourself to do other types of conditioning exercise that will support your performance uh, no doubt about that mm. so yeah fascinating to discuss karen uh there's lots of um, mm. topics here i'm sure that we could delve deeper and maybe uh do a full season on, on some of these um these topics that we've we've scratched the surface on today um so just before we finish as always karen could you summarize some key takeaways from today's discussion yeah, sure, Aileen. So um, some of the key takeaways, I think, um, would be that it's important for a runner to consider training nutrition and sleep and rest, just like we've we've um, spoken about. So I can't stress that enough and, and making sure that the that you're doing it in equal measure to help prevent the development of overtraining syndrome. Um, I think also just remembering that it could occur in men as well as women. So just being aware of this when running with colleagues, partners, um, et cetera, if you sort of uh, maybe notice that there's, that somebody's losing a lot of weight, but doesn't seem to be sort of um, adjusting their, their nutrition accordingly, just sort of, ringing bells for you um and just remembering to that it is important to take on sufficient food to fuel the amount of exercise that you are completing and like you were just saying Aileen it's about adjusting that on a daily basis depending on what your training is it's not about eating the same load every day during the week adjusting it depending on your training um and, and just remembering that insufficient energy intake will result in a deterioration in running performance over time and also may lead to other health issues, which again are going to affect performance. And, um, and, and finally, like I said earlier, just, it, just to think about, um, maybe working with a sports nutrition professional just to ensure that, that you're taking on enough fuel to support um to support your training and just taking on enough and sufficient nutrients overall to support the body in so many different ways. So I think that would be those would be my key takeaways from this, Aileen. Brilliant. Thank you for summarising as eloquently as you always do, Karen. Um, really a great discussion today. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it too. I do think it is a fascinating subject. And, and like you said, Aileen, maybe one that we could, we could do a whole series on um, in the future. So thank you. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm -hmm.